Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to tonight's classic episode, fellow conspiracy realists. The hard truth of ufology is this. Not all sightings are created equal. Some appear to uh, be a one-off happenstance with maybe a single stranger. No recording. It's just an experience they witness by themselves, maybe in a rural area. But others seem to have a lot more to them. Oh, yes. And today we're talking about one specific sighting, a mass sighting that was uh, experienced by a bunch of school children. And then uh, basically those school children grew up and interviewed with the person we're speaking with today. So this is like as close to firsthand accounts as you can get. So let's hop on the space train with Randall Nickerson, where we talk about uh, his investigations into these kinds of sightings and a documentary that he participated in on the Aerial School UFO Encounter. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Noel is on adventures. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Deccant. Most importantly, you are you and you are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Matt, at the top of the show. Okay. I, here we are. I have to say uh, thank you for bringing this episode to fruition because you and I have talked in previous uh, previous shows about UFO sightings. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. One of the most fascinating things that I think can occur mm. in this world. Mm. And over the years, we've covered various aspects of it, and we've often found um, we we've often found people who will attempt to explain a genre of sighting, like mm-hmm. a type of sighting, or will attempt to explain a single incident. But what's fascinating and startling to both of us, I believe, is that even in the modern day, there are so many huge sightings that have been sort of lost to history. You may yeah. have you, you may be listening now and you may think I vaguely recall hearing something about something like a specific incident, but too often we lose the details and too often we, uh, as a civilization, forget to investigate the actual nuts and bolts, the specifics, the timelines, yeah. the what happened and when. Yeah, absolutely. And and the most fascinating uh, genre within the UFO sighting of that type 
for me at least, is the mass sighting where it's not just, you know, a small group of people Mm -hmm. uh, like a family or something that saw something, something like the Phoenix Lights where there's almost an entire town that has this sighting at one time or something like what we're going to discuss today. And we have someone very special on the show today who is currently directing and producing an entire film, a documentary, about one particular UFO sighting and encounter. His name is Randall Nickerson. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, guys. I appreciate being here. Well, thank you for being on the show with us. Come on. Currently, currently, as as we speak, uh, there are questions that remain about a specific mass sighting of an unidentified flying object in 1994 in Zimbabwe at a place called the Aerial School. Could you tell us and the listeners just a just a little bit about the the gist of this, what people usually mean when they refer to this phenomenon? It was an event that took place in 1994 uh, at the aerial school in, in a in a rural area of Zimbabwe in Africa, uh, where uh, a schoolyard of children uh, had seen this craft of some kind, silver that had come down and uh, set down in the back of the schoolyard, about uh, 150 200 yards back, and. They saw these creatures in black that got uh, that um, came out of this uh, object and um, had uh, uh, some of them, many of them, had eye contact with it, and it, it, one of them, at least one, had approached the uh, the playground. Uh, there were other witnesses, also adults, that were had uh, witnessed either the the object itself in the sky. Uh, there was a lot of anomalies at the time also, um, but the main incident seemed to be this school um, in Zimbabwe. So these are students that were outside and they experienced something. How old are these kids that saw this thing and roughly how many of them were there? Well, there were, uh, it was a schoolyard of children between the ages of six and thirteen, uh, the 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 number of children that drew, drew drawings had, had the the headmaster of the school had after the incident happened, and they were the the children were all shook up, uh, and initially the children were not believed by the teacher teachers or the uh, headmaster, but after the the, they had gone home to their parents and uh, shared the story with their parents with their appropriate emotional impact and all that. Um, the headmaster had had them come come back and draw what they saw. So there were 60 drawings made, mm-hmm. but through the research and meeting a lot of these people, um, there were quite a few more than that. So that's that's a fascinating point then because it sounds like the – 60-plus children we're talking about and the drawings, these all are only the witnesses and the depictions of which we're currently aware. Um, There's one interesting thing we found here, which is that in the aftermath of the sighting, the children were interviewed by the BBC bureau chief for Zimbabwe. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. He was the the first one to interview the children. He was the first uh, um, person with a camera, um, and he happened to be with a you know with the BBC uh, to um, to show up at the school and actually start asking questions. What what did um, with that initial reporting? You know, a lot of times when UFO sightings make the news, it's almost in a joking way or there's a there's a bit of um, – it's, it's not looked at with really any type of seriousness. Even in 1994, um, perhaps especially in 1994, uh, how was it treated when it initially hit the news? Uh, it was treated similarly that it w- wasn't taken seriously uh, in the beginning. I think the – uh, BBC reporter didn't take it seriously. He was trying to 
you know, when he was interviewing these children, he was like, are you sure it wasn't a helicopter? Are you sure it wasn't, uh, you know, normal standard things? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of skepticism um, by everybody, the teachers, the parents, um, to the whole event. Um, so uh, it was difficult for the, for the witnesses, which I, often I think after meeting uh, a lot of other witnesses from other incidents around the world, that involve, you know, uh, UFOs or um, unidentified uh, uh, aerial phenomena. Um, you know, they're, it's they're not. It's hard for people to to find a place where they can actually share their experience. Yeah, and one one thing that's fascinating about the the timeline here with this sighting in particular is while. While many mass media outlets so often, as you and Matt pointed out, so often treat these reports with anywhere from skepticism to a dismissive tone, uh, this story did not uh, did not disappear. In fact, uh, Harvard psychiatrist Dr. John Mack became involved, correct? That's true. Yes, he came. He was called by the BBC reporter to um, because the BBC. C reporter was felt like he was out of his way out of his territory and needed um, more professional guidance. Um, uh, Dr. John Mack, he's a Harvard psychiatrist. He had won the Pulitzer Prize. He had um, spent 20 years as a child psychiatrist, uh, psychoanalyst, and so he had a lot of experience with children. Um, and he was he went uh, traveled to Zimbabwe uh, to um, to investigate this this uh, incident, and uh, was very interested in you know seeing seeing what its legitimacy was, if it, if it was legitimate, and what that meant. You know, um, he was looking into at that time uh, UFO um, reports and witnesses, and he at that point was starting to look globally. You know, not just about incidents in the United States. But incidents in South America, Africa, uh, European countries to see how widespread the phenomenon was because uh, Dr. Mack had started to take it seriously after he had met um, some, uh, I think about 10 witnesses that he um, was introduced to. And his, he, when Dr. Mack first approached this, he thought that this was some kind of psychiatric phenomenon some kind of psychiatry, that it was coming from the, the person, not an external, actual reality. But when he started to meet people that, uh, and he, that he put through psychologi- his psychological screening test, um, he found that they were telling a story that was, had all the earmarks of real experience. I think, um, you know, this, this whole phenomenon is, I think generally the public is not highly educated about, um, you know, things that are normal, you know, astronomical events. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason I'm bringing that up is because there are a lot of reports that are just, you know, everyday objects that astronomers know or other people are aware of, you know, that, that specialize in those fields. Um, but there's a lot that we, we don't know. There's been many studies about the unidentified aerial phenomena uh, that show, like, you know, out of all the reports, probably 5% are legitimate mysteries because largely the general public is not educated in a way um, to know, um, you know, what, what, what occurs normally in the sky. Astronomers know, people that spend a lot of time out at, you know, in, in, in the environments at night or, or educated in that department, um, to know when, if it's Venus rising on the horizon or, or setting on the horizon and, or some other objects, fireballs or space debris. There's, there's so many different things that can be misidentified. Mm-hmm. Um, and be be a shock to somebody who's never seen them or do, isn't aware of 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 uh, STA, you know the um, 
ISS, the space station, when it crosses over. It's a pretty amazing sight. So I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's important that, uh, you know, that there are uh, reports that, you know, a lot of them that are just uh, can be relegated to um, things that are just normal, you know, things that just happen. Uh, but then there's that 5%, which is what interests anybody looking into this, that uh, are truly legitimate. You know, I'm, I'm really glad you, you talked about that because a lot, of, a lot of writing I've seen online about this, just commenting, you know, anyone who has an internet connection can comment now on anything. And some of the more derisive comments I've seen about this uh, particular event are about, hey, these are kids. These are kids who saw something, they were probably making stuff up, maybe they just saw something and they are all, you know, it was a helicopter or something and they decided to make a game out of it. Um, in particular, these children are, these are well-spoken kids. You, you got your hands on the documentary, uh, all of the footage basically, the news footage, and you're using it to craft your documentary. Can you talk to us a little bit about just what these kids sound like, what it's, you know, they sound credible uh, just to me sitting here watching a trailer for the aerial phenomena. But talk to me about being immersed in that just for as long as you have been. What are these kids like? Uh, they're, they're highly intelligent, all of them. It, it, the school itself is a, Christ, was a, is, is a Christian school still. Um, and, you know, they, they're very highly educated children and partly due to the teaching staff and how much love and care they, they give their students. Um, being immersed in it and meeting these children as adults has been, um, yeah, it's been uh, a, a really beautiful ex experience just on a personal level, like getting, you know, meeting, meeting just another person, but they ha actually happen to have a, a story that I'm interested in and seeing, I guess part of it, uh, you know, people will say, well, why, you know, yeah, these kids may have made something up or I just find that really difficult to believe because I have our, all the archival of, you know, they've been interviewed half a dozen times by, you know, several different news outlets and reporters, you know, when it happened immediately after it happened. And the consistency in those reports is just riveting. It's just, it's uh, fascinating just on that level, the consistency that children that young can tell the same story from their own perspective that, you know, corroborates every other one. And they're not like getting together. I, I've never, I haven't seen that. We're getting together and, uh, you know, coming up with something or, you know, that doesn't seem to be that way. And as adults, they're still, they, they still think of that day out of any day in their life. What happened on that day? It's, it's, it's fresh to them. Um, so I, I went through my own struggle of like, well, did this happen or did this not happen? What, what are the other possible explanations for this? And, um, but I've over time, become pretty convinced that something really occurred there um that these and it, and it comes through small details small details that uh even as some of the adults remember that all that they they don't even know about the archival that i have but they'll mention something uh, you know as an as adults now that they don't even know about hmm. that I have in the archival from some other child who mentions that detail. It's, it's just, it's that kind of thing where it, uh, there's a, there's a lot of cor uh, cor corroborating evidence, I guess you could say that's what, that, that would be the word that uh, speaks to, to the validity that's, uh, that this occurred. And it's not, it wasn't like a normal event, you know, it wasn't like a, a typical UFO thing that they could have read out of a book. Uh, it was very, very different than the standard, you know, or I don't know if there's a standard encounter, but, <laughs> you know, what uh, what others have run into. It was a very unique um, encounter with whatever this uh, 
intelligence is. And this is a tremendous point that you have hit upon, and it's one of the first questions that a lot of people who consider themselves more on the skeptical end of the spectrum will have. Uh, The idea of children reporting stories uh, leads into the, the concept of kids without meaning to be misleading, manufacturing memories or getting details wrong. And so it's tremendously important to emphasize that in this case, the children's details, I love how you point out that the the details are uh, one of the things that really, um, really set you on, uh, on a path of discovery here because we can always, as human beings, misremember things or get things wrong. But if multiple people are having the same accounts and if they have come to these accounts through their own experiences, you know, they are not, as you said, getting together off camera or something and and making sure their stories match. If they are all reporting from their own perspective a similar or identical event – then it builds a much stronger case. And and an additional thing that I know all of us out in the audience are wondering is something that came about as we were exploring the uh, communication with the children or should we say the former children who were involved because they are now, as you said, they are adults, right, in their 20s or 30s. and, And now that there's this time that has passed, I feel like there's there's part of the story we also need to explore here, which is your part, Randall. How did how did you become involved in this uh, investigation? How did you uh, become the documentarian who is exploring this event and bringing it to the world? Well, I I started um, actually September 11th. I was down in New York City, two blocks away from the World Trade Center when, when the building came, building two came down. And that was kind of my inspiration to um, get into film and tell stories, you know, share real stories, because that was a very real event for me. And, um, and like everybody, struck everybody uh, in, in a way that probably made most people to make changes in their lives. Um, and... I started making short films and one was on the, uh, the value of silence and listening in, in, uh, the world community, personal, uh, relationships, therapy, therapeutic relationships. Um, and I had showed it to a friend of Dr. John Max and, uh, she had asked me if I was interested in making a film about the Zimbabwe case. Um, and I, I said, sure. And I, I was very fascinated just seeing the children being interviewed. I'm like, my first impression, I think everybody sees that, is that they're telling the truth. What, what they saw or whatever, I didn't know at the time like exactly what that truth was, but they were telling the truth. They, it felt honest and, and truthful. And, um, you know, I was originally supposed to make a 30-minute DVD for the John Mack um, Institute. And um, I just, I felt like uh, that John Mack's material was very good, but I felt like it, there was, there had to be more to the story. I wanted to know more. I wanted to know more about, well, were there other sources that I can compare his interviews to, you know, to see where he was coming from, where the kids were, if the story was consistent. So I found the school back in 2008, and um, uh, as soon as I found it, and it, it, that came through a reporter in South Africa, I um, immediately went there and discovered a whole bunch of different things that the, that the BBC was there, and then there was a big hunt to find that reporter and to um, get his uh, archival footage and uh, of, of and and. And I continued to do this for years to um, sort of find all the archival, because that that to me was important. If I could compare Dr. Mack's footage with the, with all the other people that had interviewed these children, that would convince myself, you know, more so. And 
be more of a convincing story if uh, the, the consistency was there, which it was. And um, so that's, um, that's kind of led me to um, thinking of it like this is such an important story, not only um, about the fact that this happened alone, that, that some school in rural Africa had this whole encounter, but the story of this Harvard psychiatrist going over there and then the, the, the repercussions he got for, for dealing with this phenomena at all. Uh, so that it's a very, you know, which, you know, at some point I reach, I reach a point like this is, this is a feature documentary. There's just, you can't tell this in a short form or in a small way. This is a really big story. And, um, you know, I always say, and other people have said it before, I know, is just, you know, these incidents happen all over the globe. Every single country has reports. And uh, if just one of those reports is true, it changes everything. And there's been tens and thousands of reports going back, you know, to the 60s, even before that, 50s and 60s. Um, so I, I think that's part of the drive that I've had. It's like, well, this this is a very important story as a whole uh, for us, you know, as a as a species on this planet to understand that, or to to start looking at, well, maybe there's something to all this stuff, you know, that uh, that and if and if there is, we really should be paying attention to that because that means that. There's a higher order species, something with a higher level of technology than us that is interacting with us. And then the, the, the real concern for me is, well, that means that something else could potentially decide our fate. That concerns me, you know, and that's why I feel like we should know as much as possible. Um, and I hope this subject begin, begins to be taken seriously. Um, because it's important. It's not just important. It's not the wow, wow, UFO, who, you know, aliens. Who ca- I don't even care about that. I care about the fact that there is an intelligent species that's more evolved than us, potentially, uh, that, that could have a huge effect on our direction as, a, as, a, our, as us, as human beings. And we're going to pause here just for a moment. We'll be back after a word from our sponsors. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. 
This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What it brought to my mind is a clip from one of the little girls who was being interviewed, I believe by John Mack, And she said something to the effect of the being communicated a message to her. And I think it was John that was trying to get her to talk more about how the being communicated to her. And she ended up saying something that there was a message, a very specific message. Do you remember what that was? Yeah. Yeah. Several of the children um, reported when they were in close contact with this one being or there was a another one that reported too. Um, but during that, there was a intense connection between the kids at the playground and, and the, the being that approached them. And during that moment, and all the kids say it was like time just stopped, but, uh, several of the kids got this, uh, sort of, I don't know how it was. They didn't know how to explain how it was communicated, but you know, in in uh, you and I would know that uh, as tel- telepathy. You know, something that was transferred mind to mind, and the message was about our own environment. And several, not 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 the majority of the witnesses, but several of them, um, at least a half a dozen, maybe more, because uh, a lot of them in the present day are 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 not. They feel a little. Uh, nervous to share that. Um, but, uh, the message was about what we're, what we were doing to our planet or what, 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 uh, our direction was with our own environment. Um, I don't know. I've wonder about, wonder about that a little bit. I wonder, well, if somebody sees something traumatic, you tend to think about, you know, particularly something from out, out of this world that may be a response to, to a trauma, I mean, you may think about your own place more. I'm just thinking of alternative reasons why that would come out, or it really happened, you know, or mm-hmm. it was really communicated to these kids. And then the question is why? In in the footage, uh, Randall, he's you know, I think it's Doctor Mac, and he's saying, you know, repeatedly saying, "Well, did you think about this before? Is this a thought you've had before? Why why did you think about this?" And he he would allow for more questions in between. Then he would ask her again, is this something you were thinking about or that, you know, you've been taught or told? And just repeatedly, she'd be like, no, no, I didn't think about it until I got home and afterwards. Yeah. And uh, one one thing I'd like to go back to as we're talking about the kids' accounts is uh, something that I know has piqued the interest of a lot of our listeners here, and that is that the event as described by, again, these uh, more than 60 school children has aspects that do not match the, you know, the stereotypical UFO encounter story that we have heard, right? Uh, you said there were some unique things that occurred and that the kids pretty much universally agreed on some of these things. Um, we've also heard some reports that there were some small differences in children's accounts. But but what what set this apart in your mind from uh, the typical – I again, I hesitate to use the phrase typical, but the, the super familiar stereotypical UFO encounter story. Like what really stood out? I think what really stood out – well, number one was the, the fact that they – showed up at a, a playground at a, at a primary school is one big one. Mm-hmm. And 
sort of from all the reports were to seem to be to have approached the playground and observed the children. There was no action taken. There was no, you know, um, nobody was taken or anything there. There, you know, it was, it was almost like an observation. Um, that, that, that I find really interesting. The, the other thing that's unique is that they were all wearing black, like a black skin tight suit, these creatures. And, um, there's only, I think, three times in in the history of uh, of this phenomena that uh, that's been reported. So uh, that was unique. Um, the message part is not. I, I mean, I, some of the research I've done with uh, other cases, that's not terribly uncommon. That. Um, people that have had encounters with these things get some kind of message about our own environment and our own direction as, mm. a, as a species. So I think, yeah, I mean, those are the two big things that stand out for me are, are, are how it, where it took place, how it took place, and what they were particularly wearing. Ah, I see. Um, it made it unique. And, um, and of course, the message transmission and all that um, mm. also. Oh, and uh, we we should point out most importantly, not only was this at a on a playground, but this was also, and this will seem unusual to many people. This was during the day, during a school day. I believe it was their mid morning break yeah. at ten a.m. or something. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for reminding me that. That's what also makes it unique. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 10 very good. Um, it's uh, yeah, it happened at uh, uh, the ten thirty uh, break in the morning on a Friday and uh, yeah, that, that also is unique. So I want to bring something up here, Randall. Um, it's a, it's a point of contention that I've seen online. I just want to talk about it. Um, let's, let's, let's just go there. Okay. Um, I have heard some people suggest that perhaps this was an elaborate prank by some of the teachers because of a few things. Uh, most of the teachers were in a meeting at the time or at least uh, they, I think they were having a teacher's meeting of some sort. There was one teacher perhaps outside that was manning basically a snack stand kind of thing. That's correct, yeah. And then it, it's been posited before that perhaps the teachers were having fun with the kids and trying to do something in that way. And it's been done before. It's been done afterwards where – Teachers have faked an invasion for the kids and then they reveal it later. Um, really? This, this is it just in your mind. Is there any possibility that something to that effect occurred that day? Um, of, well, I've seen those reports of teachers doing this sort of fake UFO thing. That's, that started happening, I think, in, two, in the 2008, 2009 Sort of, but the kids were aware of it. I mean, it wasn't something they, um, you know, the children, the the teachers pranked them on. But I, I don't find any. I mean, I've interviewed, I've talked to all the teachers, and they, they were shocked themselves. They didn't know how to deal with it. So I, I there's no validity to that. That this is none. I mean, I've interviewed all the cho- teachers. I have all the teachers interviewed in at the time. Uh, there's just no way I can even see that as a possibility. It, it's just not there because it, because mainly because the teachers were shocked. I mean, they, they were, they didn't believe the kids. They, you know, not, not all of them, but many of the te- teachers initially did not believe the, the kids until the kids' parents started showing up and saying, look, something happened to my kid. What happened? You know? And then, it, then it got, uh, you know, taken more seriously by the staff and uh, the headmaster, and um, and they they were they became really convinced that uh, something had occurred. You know, it's it's a tough subject. I mean, they were all of a sudden, there all the teachers were were put in a position of uh, okay, these children are reporting this, but we don't believe this, and you know, it goes to. Um, so I don't I don't find any validity to that argument at all. I've found nothing there, and I've looked at that. I've looked at hoaxes, you know, and you have to. I got to say, 
I don't think enough people do this in the UFO field or the unidentified aerial phenomena field. Uh, you know, you got to look at everything. You know, you, just, you can't take a report as just the way it is. You know, like I looked at everything, like what was going on with the teachers, what was going on in the country with their military, with you know what was going on in space at the time. You got to and what were what where was the sun rising that day? What was the you know at night? What was the um, where was Venus? I mean, you, you you all these questions you need to ask to do a thorough to get a thorough take on something. To um, and I think it's really important. I don't think enough people do that. Um, and the other thing, you know, like with the teachers, this these children coming to the teachers. Uh, the teachers had a certain worldview, and this is a lot of things John Mack talks about and others like that. And this is what really this whole phenomena is about, really, um, is that, you know, is, is our worldview, you know, that these things aren't supposed to exist. Um, so we just, they're not, they, they're not real. They're not, they don't exist. So, the uh, most of the teachers were in that world views and they were approached by the children and being uh, challenged in a, in a big way to from them by saying, no, we, this is what we saw. Um, but the world view, like for all of us is, you know, we, most of us have this world view that, that, uh, you know, there's nothing more than intelligent than us. And we like to keep that, worldview because it makes us feel good makes us continue to want to do things <laughs> of course um, yeah but there's different worldviews like in africa people in the native populations um this that's not they don't have the same worldview they are open to um understanding that yeah we're we're the um you know dominant species here um or we think we are, and but there are other other species out in this vast ocean that we look at at night with stars. So I just think that um, the world, our worldviews, is what's being challenged with this whole phenomena. Like it's something we really don't want to look at because it challenges our 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 ego, really. Well, you know, you this just brings up so much that I've been reading recently because of this interview about Dr. John E. Mack. And honestly, I didn't know a whole lot about this gentleman. Um, and we've discussed before that he he has a PhD from the Harvard School of Medicine, and he's a psychologist, psychoanalyst. He is also a self-described parapsychologist and has done some fascinating work in that field. And for someone with such accolades and such an education and, and just a brilliant person to immerse himself in that field that is so socially, I would say maligned, maybe socially mm -hmm. unaccepted, mm -hmm. um, controversial, at controversial, least. at least. Yes, cor correct. Um, for, to have someone like this, um, look into this whole phenomena, this, this one event, and then to have, um, that group, seek you out to produce a documentary on this subject. It's just, it, it lends such credibility to it. Um, I don't know. I think that's one of the main reasons why I personally am so excited about this documentary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, not just the resources, but because there is this, um, this man who then kind of became an institution. Can you tell us a little bit about how, like you, you mentioned something about repercussions, uh, with John E. Mack mm -hmm. uh, for his beliefs and kind of what we've been talking about here. What what happened? What were those repercussions? I mean, John Mack was, he was brilliant. And I think, uh, you know, he won, had won the Pulitzer Prize uh, in, I believe it was 1977. Uh, he was brilliant as a psychiatrist, psychoanalyst. And I think what happened, this is my take, that he got bored with, you know, the standard model of looking at a person in a therapeutic environment um, and got very interested in anomalous experiences that people didn't, you know, extraordinary experiences that were difficult to believe. Um, 
and I think he was looking at different models of of um, psychotherapy to explore the unconscious, the unconscious. Um, and um, he, then he had dealt with people who had near-death experiences and um, witnesses to UFOs or aliens and um, and being such a high-level person. I mean, he started the Cambridge Hospital. He was, um, you know, uh, a psychiatrist on at, at the uh, Harvard Medical School, um, a professor. And um, he started to get flack from the university for his uh, looking into these these cases. And uh, the repercussions, they really went after him. They were threatening to uh, take away his tenure and basically fire him, which has never in the history of Harvard University been done. There's never been a person threatened like that oh, in wow. the whole entire history of Harvard. And that goes back to the six, late 1600. So it was real. That was very unique. And, um, they, uh, you know, it was a whole, uh, not a trial, but essentially one behind closed doors. And, you know, their concern was that he was, uh, you know, that, uh, these patients actually had psychological illnesses, yet they displayed none of them. Um, but that was their angle that, uh, the concern for patients and which is understandably, I could totally understand their angle. Um, but honestly, my take on it now is I felt like they were really trying to, um, tarnish his reputation and, uh, intimidate him. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, he, he had lot, you know, through this whole, uh, Harvard inquisition, which was, had many people involved, including Alan Dershowitz and, you know, it's just it, a cast of, of some famous people. And, um, you know, that, that he had lost his circle of friends at Harvard. Nobody wanted to be around him, you know, during this time. Um, and so I think the Harvard, it, it really achieved a goal in sort of just, you know, uh, hurting his credibility. Hmm. Um so it's quite a hero's journey in a way. I mean, it was the man, a man who was had a conviction that these people are are telling the truth. You know, different people that are reported, including these children in Africa, they're telling the truth. And uh, what does that mean? Asking the question of what does that mean if this is the truth and this is not something psychological? What does that mean for us as a as a species? And we're going to take a quick break. We're just going to pause. We'll be right back. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Regardless of how someone encounters this story or what what they personally believe, right, uh, the... Mm-hmm. The crux of the issue is the following. There are things that have yet to be explained about this event, which was not that long ago. I mean, maybe we're dating ourselves a little bit here, but 1994 is, the, you know, it's it's the past, but it's relatively recent. And there are still things that, that we can find out through rigorous investigation, through on-the-ground interviews, uh, through the work that you are doing. But all of it leads us to, again, the question you just posited, which is what does this mean? What does this mean for the future? What what will humanity overall discover from this event? And you know, we haven't even we haven't touched on uh, the the other events across the world that you have mentioned um, that you alluded to that have uh, some of the same threads running through them. Right. So this is a question that we. At least uh, I, I don't know if you've got something up your sleeve, Matt, but this is a question that we don't have the answer to yet, at least <laughs> at least us. Uh, uh, there's some stuff in here, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's answers to that question, though. Ah, well, what we would like to do is um, I, I guess our, our next question for the show here then is to ask uh, if you could tell us a little more about the state of the documentary as it stands now, what our listeners can do to help, uh, and where they can learn more about the piece. Sure. Can I say one thing first? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely, yes. So during this uh, filming and interviewing, I mean, I've traveled to Africa three times and uh, all over Europe, finding all these witnesses in the United States, Canada. Um, You know, I've been approached by several people, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of people that have heard I'm doing a movie about UFOs, and they come and they share their experience with me. And, you know, not and, and these are people, this is what always strikes me, they're people that have, I mean, they come to me and they say, don't tell anybody, because I haven't told anybody, or they've only told their immediate family. And they share these stories that nobody knows about. They're just, they keep it to themselves. They're afraid of ridicule. They're afraid of, you know, uh, they're afraid of a lot of things to, uh, to be, to, to, for it somehow to go public, afraid of losing their friends, all kinds of fears. Um, yet their stories are, you know, they sound and their feelings express something really happened. Um, I just find that heartbreaking in a way that we, there's this whole culture out there that is not being heard, that you don't see at UFO conferences, that you don't see anywhere. Mm-hmm. They've just had these experiences and they're keeping it to themselves. And that, and if, if it's the, just considering the number that I've run into and just doing the math of how many people there has to be like that, uh, is just it's a lot of it's a lot of people that 
could be helping us solve the this mystery. Um, and there just doesn't seem to be enough of a drive from us or our media or our, our culture to really want to find out what's going on here. Because I think it's pretty important that we that we do try to understand it and try to um, uh, find out more. Because as far as I want to personally, I want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I want to know what situation humanity's in. Like I want to know that if there's something out there, I really want to know about it. I want to know how it can impact me. I want to know what I should be afraid of or need to be afraid of. I don't know. I just, I, or not. Um, but I, I would like as much information as possible. I, I, I know about all the wildlife uh, that live in the forest that I'm in. And I'm very curious, you know, to find out a lot about them. If there's something else out there, it's, it's another form of wildlife just happens to be smarter than us. I want to know as much as possible, <laughs> particularly because it's smarter than me. So I don't know. I just, it just strikes me that I, you know, I'll, I'll be glad when the day comes and it will come when universities have programs that are really doing intense research about this, you know, and eliminating the charlatans and whatever the, the BS stories that are out there and getting to the real stories and piecing this puzzle together because we need to know. Agreed. Okay, Randall. So tell us, uh, tell us how we can learn more about the aerial phenomenon documentary. Where can we learn about it? Where can we watch a trailer for it? Um, when do you think it's coming out? Just tell us everything. Okay. So uh, the film, we're at a rough cut right now, working toward a final. Uh, it's it's fantastic. I mean, I can't say enough. And it's my. I wouldn't usually be that. Uh, ex- I'm just really excited because it. It took, it's taken a long time, but I've done it right. I've gotten some of the best people to work on it. I've got a, an editor that worked with Michael Moore, did Fahrenheit 9-11, did Sicko, and has done um, uh, other brilliant films. Uh, so I've gotten really great people to work on it, and um, we're working toward a final. Um, you can check it out at aerialphenomenon.com. We have a, tra- uh, an, a trailer there, and we have a trailer where Dan Aykroyd um, plugs the film, and he's very aware of this case, and uh, he was just wonderful supporting the, um, just trying to get this, the word about this film out there. Um, but you can see uh, quite, a, quite a bit of information on the site. Uh, we're still taking donations because it's been, you know, it's been a project from the heart kind of thing, and uh, we... Um, it's been up and down, you know, we get funding and then the funding stops. And then I, I, I go back to work to pay for more filmmaking or more editing. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's been hard to, uh, you know, when you don't have the funding right there and you have to play all these roles to, uh, to keep it moving. And sometimes it, the production stops and then we get, we move ahead again and then we stops again. Cause there's anyway, it's been a challenge for sure. But, um, so yeah, we we're looking at uh, for being at uh, a final within 3 months. So it's coming, it's coming soon and I think the reaction because and the other thing this is not really a film about UFOs in 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 a sense. I mean it is a film about this incident, but it's it's a lot also about um what happens to people, you know, what people go through when they have reported something like this and, and, um, how it sticks with them. And that's, it's kind of a lot of different things, but it's not your traditional by any sense, uh, UFO film at all. It's, uh, it's very mainstream as far as a story. And, uh, it's really a lot about the people, you know, not so much about the aliens or the woo woo stuff about UFOs. And uh, I kind of think that's where the conversation needs to go is, in us getting out, out sort of, out of the woo-woo flash, like aliens, aliens, aliens stage to, okay, well, you know, what are we looking at here? Is it, what is it? You know, if, if it's an alien or some other creature from another planet, it's another animal, basically. You know what I mean? Um, mm. So I, I think it, it would be, I, I really would like to work toward, um, 
changing the conversation to uh, so we can get to it, so we can really get to the heart of heart of this matter issue and learn from it, find out what it is, and uh, you know the the recent things that have happened that came out in the New York Times uh, with the military was mm-hmm. absolutely fascinating. I don't know if you you guys are aware of that. Yeah, yeah. we just uh, did a couple interviews uh, about that. Recently. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah the. Uh, Pentagon Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program, mm-hmm. I believe, with yeah. Luis Elizondo. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a massive uh, surprise to I, I think everybody who even who even casually follows this sort of news. Yeah. What an about face, yeah. you know? There's a dude named Jeremy Corbell that we talked to recently about that. Oh, He's I just met him. Yeah, fascinating. Oh, great, fascinating guy. Well, uh, okay. Look, Randall. I, like many people listening right now, am very excited to watch the aerial phenomenon. I know Ben is too. Yeah. See it in his eyes. We'll go ahead and also post the trailer uh, mm-hmm. that you can find. When you're done with this podcast, you can check it out on our Instagram, our Facebook, and our Twitter. Yeah, we'll put that out there now. By the way, we are Conspiracy Stuff at Twitter and Facebook and Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. If you're out there and you want to you know, discuss this project further, um, and again, go to Ariel, that's A-R-I-E-L, phenomenon.com. Yeah, and there you can find more information about the documentary. You can watch the trailer. You can see some of the news. You can also uh, contact the project directly mm-hmm. uh, with questions. And, you know, one thing that one thing that I think everyone listening should absolutely take away from this episode is a point that you brought up, Randall, that there are so many people that you have met who feel that they have experienced something that would uh, that that they are unable to communicate with the world because of fear of um, social repercussions, right? Yes. Or a social stigma with that. And the most important one of the most important things to remember here is that if you are listening and you feel that some sort of event has happened to you, if you feel that you do not have a voice regarding this or that you do not have the ability to share it, the the good news is uh, we good, exist. Well, the good news is that you are you know that you are not existing in isolation. There are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people around the globe who have experienced something that they feel they may not be able to explain. And it is very important to remember that no person exists in isolation. And depending on, um, depending on what people may ultimately find out about the aerial phenomenon and other sightings of this kind, perhaps our species, also is not an island and does not exist in isolation. Oh, I'm, I'm waxing ooh, a little ooh, poetic. Ooh. I apologize, guys. <laughs> I apologize. I'm so, glad you said that, though. I think that's, that's really important that people don't feel alone, you know? Because mm-hmm. the people I've met, it's, it's, it's hard. That's what makes it hard. You know, they, they, it just sits in themselves alone. And um, it's, it, uh, yeah, all kinds of things can happen from that place. Yeah. Yep. So thank you so much, Randall, for joining us today for this. And thank you for all the work you're doing on, you know, this project. We're, again, we're very excited to see it and we can't wait to see how it turns out. And, you know, if you wanted to send us maybe a screener or something, I'm saying Ben, Ben and I are here Uh-oh. and, you know. You're doing the hard <laughs> sell, Matt. Uh, well, in all, in all seriousness, uh, yes, thank you so much for your time, uh, both on our behalf and on behalf of our fellow listeners out there in the audience. And if you are listening and thinking, I have a story to communicate, I would like to tell somebody, I know something that I haven't shared with the world yet, uh, you, of course, can reach out to us. Uh, we would love to hear from you. You are the most important part of this show. Uh, go ahead and send us a, a missive, a communique on your social media platform of choice, or if none of that is- And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, You can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email.
We are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.